Our Heavenly Father, it is easy to sit in church but never to get excited about meeting Jesus. And so we sit in church and we forget about those who sit in darkness. And so we pray you give us a new picture of your kingdom and help us to turn what we learn tonight into a blessing for those who are outside it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me read uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12, where we start. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light And those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. We're going to be learning about that tonight, but first we're going to stop and let uh, our little uh, uh, teen team uh, and pre-team team head off into their little group. Hannah's going to be the Pied Piper and lead them and try not to trip over the wires as you go and they'll be all there in the next room and they'll come back and tell us what they've learnt. Now, okay, let me start with, uh, I love the way that Rob actually said, if you missed uh, Matthew chapter 4 and you want to go back to 3 to one 
Uh, we've got it back uh, on the website. Uh, and what do you call it on television when you can watch the, the films? The replay. the replay, yeah. So, yes, catch up, catch up TV. And there's catch up uh, uh, talks as well. And so the question to ask tonight is, uh, what's it like to meet God? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because it suggests that there is an answer and that someone can actually tell you what it's like, otherwise you wouldn't be asking the question. And that's interesting because it shows that actually God might be real and you can find out. No one would ask that question, what's it like to meet Santa Claus? Because people would just smile if you asked that. But you ask the question, what's it like to meet God? And people don't ridicule, they are interested. Because it creates interest, it creates expectancy. Some things, when you meet them, they don't create uh, too much excitement. There was a person once who said, uh, we, my wife and I invited them to our house for dinner. And this person said, great, I've never been to a vicarage before. And Debbie and I looked at each other and I didn't know what they were expecting, but they had the latest and all our house is second hand. And after they left, if you ask them, what's it like to be in a vicarage? They just said, underwhelming. <laughs> but with God, what's it like? And you can say three things. It's light, it's uh, a leader, and it's a liberator. And we're going to look at those three things uh, tonight. First, uh, it is uh, the, uh, about the light, and that's in 12 to 16. And let me tell you that to find out what it was like to meet God people could go to a real place and find out. So we're not talking about a sort of a imaginary fantasy land, let's say we'll call a fairyland heaven. And if you can go there, you can find out what God is like. Now, the person who's writing this, Matthew, is getting Google Earth out. And he's saying, this place, if you go here, you will meet God. And he says about the land of Naphtali and the land of Zebulun. Real places. If you go there today, you can pretty much walk down the same streets. And so there is this uh, uh, fantastic uh, truth that you can find out what it's like to meet God. Now, here's interesting. Because Isaiah the prophet's writing about 700 years beforehand okay Isaiah the prophet says if you go to this place you will find real joy Matthew says in this place this is where Jesus lived and so the prophet and uh, the eyewitness they say the same thing it's really interesting the Bible is different to any other holy book because it always tells you about God from two angles. You get uh, the prophecy saying what's going to happen in the future, and then the eyewitness tells you it happened. So prophecy and history always go together in the Bible. 
In other holy books, they just tell you how to behave. The Bible tells you what God is going to do and that he has done it. And so prophecy and history tell you uh, what it will be like. And so you get this uh, prophecy that says, this in verse 15, it will happen in Galilee of the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. And Zebulun and Naphtali are on the edge of the country of Israel, where it borders where the non-Jewish people live. So there are some non-Jewish people living in this area. And so therefore, uh, it's the best place, if you're going to start to shine light over the world, to start here, where you shine light over Jewish people and non-Jewish people in this place. And so you get that uh, great mix. And what they discover is that uh, uh, it's a real place, uh, the prophecy becomes history, but here's the thing, that uh, the shadow is taken away. People are living with a shadow on them. It says here, they lived in uh, verse 16, top of the page, they lived in darkness in the shadow of death. Now let me tell you, if the shadow is there, if you see my shadow on the ground, you can expect me to come into view fairly soon. Because connected to me is my shadow. If you see the shadow, I'll be there next. And so what uh, the Bible is saying is, imagine the shadow of death over people, because actually that is what's going to happen next, and they might come into view soon. Take that young guy, Harry Dunn. How old was he? 18. Riding his motorbike. And then you get uh, Anne Sekoulis, the American uh, wife of a diplomat. And she's driving on the wrong side of the road. We were talking about that earlier. Um, and he, the young Harry dies, and she goes back to America. Everyone heard the story? And everybody's talking about diplomatic immunity. Should they escape because they have gone into another country? But we should be talking about something different. We should be saying that young Harry, even though he was only 18, had his breakfast with a shadow over him. And he had no idea when death was going to come into view. And it did that day. And everyone has that shadow on them. We don't know when death will come into view. But the wonderful thing is, in verse 16, is that light, when it shines, gets rid of shadows. And you see, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And just like when you see a shadow, you know that death is going to come soon, because where the shadow is, then the thing it's pointing to is there. So when you see the ray of light coming in, you know that Jesus is there. And the shadows are driven. He brings light. And so the person sitting in the shadow of death doesn't have that shadow anymore. They have his light, 
and they will have his life. So the first thing that you find, what it's like to meet God, it is like having light, and the shadow has gone. Second thing, it is like having a leader. Now, it's interesting here that Jesus says, follow me. He may not be going up to perfect strangers, they may have met him before, but it's a big ask, isn't it? You, follow me. Because they've got to do immediate action now. They drop everything and they go. It's a big sacrifice. They drop everything and go. And who knows where he will lead them. If you're following someone, who knows where they will take you. It's risky. But how do we turn that into the present? What's it like for us to follow Jesus when he says, repent? What does that word mean? What does it mean in real life for you and me? Well, think of it like this. Say Jesus is on the side of the road and you're driving your car and you stop to pick him up. Where will you put him? See, it's possible to put him in the boot to say, uh, well, I want Jesus uh, in the car, uh, but I want him out of sight and I don't want to even hear from him. And a lot of people do that, don't they? They say, well, I was baptised. I have Jesus, if you like, in my car, but in the boot. Other people say, well, we'll take him in the car, but we put him in the back seat because we want him to hear. If we need some help, we can ask him. And on those days, we want him to hear. So we put him in the back seat so he can hear us. He's close enough for that. Or we can say, we put him in the passenger seat. So every now and then, when I'm looking for directions, he will turn me and I will choose that there will be certain days when I obey him and do what he says. Or, you can get out the car, take the keys out, and give it to him and say, you drive. That is what repentance means. You lead my life. And you take those decisions. Now I know it's scary, isn't it? Because we tend to think, I don't want anybody else to drive, especially if you're a man, uh, because we know what is best. Uh, men never ask for driving instructions. Um, my sat-nav is always telling me off. Uh, and so therefore we say, no, no, I know better than you know. But the Bible tells us that God is the leader whose wisdom is greater than mine and I will crash and he won't. And I don't want to take a, a risk because, and I'm not taking a risk because I'm trusting somebody who cares for me. Uh, I was in the army, but just imagine if uh, you were in the army and you were on a, in a battle and you were badly hurt. And then your commanding officer comes through a hail of bullets and he picks you up and he lifts you to safety. Would you trust that man and follow him into the next battle? Answer? Yes. 
because he cares for you. And like someone once said, is it a risk to put your hand into the hand that was scarred for you? That's what you do when you follow Jesus as your leader. But it's not a, 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 a blind journey because actually he tells the disciples in verse 19 where they are going. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus is not calling individuals, come and follow me. He is calling into being an evangelizing church. So every disciple is a disciple-making disciple. It goes together. It's one call. Follow me and I will make you. That's just one thing that he's calling you to do. Follow him and this is what will happen. This is where the road will go. And so we know where he'll take us. And he did this with these four people here in this chapter. There were a sample of four. There would eventually be twelve. And they were the most unlikely people, fishermen, to win the world. And yet they were told to win the world. And here's us. We're pretty unlikely. We don't think it'll happen. We don't think we could do anything to help another person become a Christian. And God says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is where his leadership goes. So what's it like to meet Jesus? Well, it means light. What's it like to meet Jesus? It means a leader. Thirdly, what's it like to meet Jesus? And you've got a liberator, someone who sets you free. Because you see that between verses 23 and 25. It's like a liberation that the world has never seen people being helped so much by a leader coming in to take over. It's a bigger freedom than anyone has ever, ever known. And it's interesting to see, it's not happening in Jerusalem where their religion is, but happening in Naphtali and Zebulun, which is where Jesus is. And it's a bit like uh, visiting a, a show house. You know how it is when uh, uh, Debbie and I have uh, bought a house um, uh, in the middle of the country. And when we went there, there were just basically bits of land with bricks sticking up. But there was one house. And you can go in and you can see, okay, this is what this finished job is going to be like. This is the show house. Okay, if you buy this house, your house will look like this as well. Okay? And it's like that, uh, if you like, there's a show house of heaven for just a little bit of time built in Zebulun and Naphtali. And so uh, people come from everywhere, all over the place, to see the show house of heaven. That's what they are looking at when they come and they see Jesus do all these different things. You notice they come from Syria in verse 25, that is where non-Jewish, in verse 24, that is where non-Jewish people lived. And they want to come and see what this show house is that uh, this uh, king of Jews uh, can build where they can, they, can, they can find him and experience something like this. 
And you might just remind you, if you know the Bible, there was once a brilliant king in Israel called Solomon. And if you look at 1 Kings chapter 10, I didn't stick it there, but um, the Queen of Sheba came from miles away in Africa to see what that kingdom was like. It was so brilliant. But now, not just one person, the whole of Syria is coming to see what the king of the Jews is like. And they're coming from all over the places in, in Israel too. Verse 25, crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. They're coming from everywhere and they're coming to see. Now let me tell you, that tells you what is said here is true because if Matthew wrote this and it wasn't like this, there'd be any number of people who would be able to say, what are you talking about? But with this crowd, and you see these things written, and no one ever said this was not true. The only thing they said is that Jesus did things in the power of the devil. They didn't deny what he did. No one denied what he did. They just attributed it to the devil. And the numbers are there to see because they want to come and see. And so the king explains the good news, uh, which is literally big news. He's saying, look, this is what the future will be. And we can know that that is what the future will be if only you and I look at the past and you can see the future. It's the show house. And you see the estate. And the king demonstrates the gospel. Everything that destroys life is removed. Uh, he healed all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Everything that destroyed life, he takes away. And he would have destroyed life. In those days, there was no cure for these things. If you got these things, you would die. And he takes away everything that will destroy, because the light's getting rid of the shadow. So you get this, what's it like to meet Jesus? It's like meeting, uh, seeing light, uh, throwing out the shadows. It's like a leader uh, leading you in, in great love. And it is like a liberator opening the door to uh, a new house, a new kingdom. And the answer is, don't try and reproduce it. People say, oh, but if Jesus healed people then, we expect him to do all this here and now. The answer is, no, that's just a show house. You've got to wait for the estate to be built. Then you can have this in your experience. So don't think that actually this is going to happen here and now because Jesus is not here. It will, though, when he comes back. Because this is what it's like, where he is. Now, don't get me wrong. I pray for healing, because I trust God has the power to heal me. But I also trust him to take me, in answer to that prayer, to resurrect me into this new world, into his kingdom. And so we need to see that that is actually where this kind of life can be lived and enjoyed. 
So don't be taken off by, you know, the mood music and the soft lighting and the deep prayers for healing. Jesus didn't do any of that. He just needed to be there. And this is what happened. And it happened from place to place to place. He went from village to village to village doing this. So that uh, uh, it's uh, in all the places. It wasn't just a one-off fluke. Jesus is bringing his uh, announcement of his kingdom, his good news, his literally big news. This is the future. And he's sharing it making sure no one is left out. Now, how might that just kind of come into our lives today? And I want to suggest to you, if you're not a Christian, if all this is new to you, and let me tell you, I was someone who kind of got baptised when I was a baby. My mum and dad thought that was important, but I didn't really get take any interest in any of this. And I think the thing that would have really helped me to know is what God would have told me just at that moment in time. You know what he would say? He would say, follow me. Look, I'm an army man. I love it when people tell me clearly what I'm supposed to do. And Jesus tells us very clearly what we are supposed to do. Follow me. Follow me because there are reasons, good reasons. He doesn't just simply say it because he says it. He gives good reasons because it will bring light into your life. It will bring a leader into your life. And it will bring a liberator into your future. Follow him for those reasons. But my friends, follow him now. Oh, yes. Uh, sorry, yes, I... <laughs> Thank you. Um... I meant to press the buttons before. Um, okay. And what it means to follow him is to... Huh. Sorry, I forgot to press the button. Um, right, okay. Uh, what it means to, to is say, here's the key. You drive. And do it now, and I think that's important to say as well, because they left everything immediately and followed him. And I think that's important. I used to think that, and I used to tell people, okay, I've told you about Jesus, now think about it carefully and decide whether you want to follow him. I won't rush you. But I think what uh, I, I realise now, because I, I was thinking to myself, you know, there is a thing in the Bible that says count the cost. Don't make rash decisions. But I think what the Bible tells us when it says count the cost is it's not saying, you know, do some risk assessment to work out whether you want to or not. The Bible says count the cost so that you will then realize that this is worth any sacrifice. Don't let any sacrifice put you off following him. And that is, I think, where the Bible goes. Because to delay, if Jesus says, follow me, and we delay, delay is disobedience, isn't it? So do it now. Second thing is, uh, if you've been to church lots, you know what people say? I remember the day I became a Christian. 
before I used to think this way, now I think this way, and then I became a Christian, now I go to church, and yeah, brilliant, good, wonderful, but how concerned are you for people with the shadow? Because when Jesus calls us to follow him, he doesn't say, look, it'll be you and me. You follow me and then we'll be friends. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, look, uh, follow me and there'll be other disciples so you and other Christians can be friends. He doesn't say that. Although it is important and when they follow Jesus, they will be following him with other people. That's true. But what Jesus is really saying is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Don't split verse 19. It is one thing that God is calling you to do. He doesn't call you just to have a friendship with Jesus and he doesn't call you into church. He calls you to be involved in bringing other people into his safety. And I think it's important that uh, we need to understand that. Because if we split verse 19 and we say, okay, I'll follow Jesus, but I won't become a fisher, it shows we haven't really understood who Jesus is. We haven't understood that he's light. We haven't understood that he's a leader. We haven't understood that he's a liberator. And we don't really believe it. And so we don't really share it. And it shows that we're not really Christians. We're just in the church. The third thing that you see is, uh, if you're real, is turn this into praise. At least that's what I said in the notes. Because I found myself asking, why is God telling me this story? What is it in my life that shows I haven't properly understood it, that I need to think about it again? That's how I was coming at this. And I realized that uh, I know this stuff in my head, but I need to drive it into my heart by spending time, maybe away from church, uh, as I was doing this morning, trying to drive it into my heart, praising God for the fact that he is light, that he is leader, that he is liberator, and really uh, bring myself uh, to see that personally, joyfully, I can so easily praise God for other things and lesser things. But I need to praise God for these things in order that they become more and more real and important. But at the same time, I need to understand when the Bible talks about praise, it is never just private. It is always public. And I don't mean... Uh, the kind of songs we've been singing in church, we praise God as if uh, you know, we're together. But we are together. But praise God in the sense of actually go outside and tell people how great he is, what light he is, what a leader he is, what a liberator he is. And use tonight to help you to do that. So when you're walking around the streets, when you're sitting in the tube, just picture people with a shadow over them. Because you don't know when death will come into view. Don't forget that one day it will. 
picture the shadow. Help people to understand how to respond to Jesus by remembering the key. And say, where is Jesus in your life? Repentance means, Jesus, you've been in the wrong seat up till now. You've either been in the boot, and I've not really thought much about you, or you've been out on the street, and I haven't even taken you in, or you're in the back seat where you're just there for me to ask you for help when I want it, or you're there in my passenger seat to say, well, every now and then I'll listen. If it's convenient to me, I'll do it. But what we're saying here is, Jesus, I've been in the wrong, you've been in the wrong seat, and I want you to drive. Remember the key, it'll help you to explain what becoming a Christian is. And lastly, remember the picture of heaven. Remember the picture of heaven. And with that picture in mind, with the key in mind, with the light in mind, say to your friends, say to everyone, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I want to ask you to uh, just take one minute maybe to pray just one headline from what we've learned tonight into your um, life, into your thinking. And then I will pray a prayer and then we'll take questions and answers after that. Alright? So first one minute where you pray, then I'll pray. Let me pray. Our great God, we thank you for this preview, this show house of your kingdom. And we know that those who went into the show house and saw and experienced your goodness still managed to drift away from Jesus and to forget. And so we ask for your continuing help so that we might love the light of Jesus, the leadership of Jesus, the liberation of the Lord Jesus. Put this joy deep into our lives and our hearts, we pray, so that it is deeply embedded in our praise, both in private and in public, when we're with non-Christians. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.